Thank you for listening to our church podcast, where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m., for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. Well, if you are particularly observant, you may have noticed that we skipped a few verses today. Uh, Last week we ended with verse 22, and this week we're starting with verse 27, and so you may be wondering, why did I skip verses 23 to 26? Am I even allowed to do that? Um, As I looked at these sections, it seemed that the Transfiguration was a good Christmas text, and the previous four verses would be a good New Year's text, so I decided we're going to do them out of order. I don't normally do that, uh, but I hope that's okay. So this morning we're going to be looking at the Transfiguration of Jesus. This is one of those events in the Gospels that I hope someday we'll be able to see a recording of. Uh, There's certain things that I read in the Bible and I think, man, I hope somebody got that on video and I can watch that, like the demon-possessed pigs. Uh, That would be another one I would love to see. Uh, But this is just, it's a dramatic event that uh, is very hard, at least for me, to really picture. I read the description in the Gospels and it's just hard for me to get a clear image of what this looked like. But this uh, dramatic story in the life of Christ reveals the answer to those two questions that I raised last week. I told you this week and, and last week we're going to be focusing in on two questions in particular uh, that pertain to Christmas and, and this uh, particular season of the year. Number one is, why, uh, who is Jesus? And number two, why was he born? Uh, who is that baby and why did he come to earth? Those are the two questions. And this text answers both of those questions with extreme clarity that maybe even other texts, uh, maybe more than any text in the Gospels. And so we're going to start in verse 27, where Jesus says to his disciples, he's finishing up uh, a teaching that he's given them, and he has this little footnote on the end. He says, but I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. Now, now that sentence could be interpreted a few different ways, uh, and there are commentators that take different positions on it. Some people would say that Jesus is saying that that some of those in the crowd, uh, those who were his followers, would not die until they see the kingdom of God, meaning that uh, the kingdom would come on earth in its fullness before the death of the apostles, Uh, that Jesus would begin his reign on earth, uh, the new heavens and the new earth would come within their lifetime. Now, I think that's pretty obviously not what he's saying because it didn't happen. Uh, Of course, Jesus is not reigning in Jerusalem right now, and uh, it did not... uh, seem to have happened within their lifetime. Another option is that this might be referring to the judgment in AD 70, which was within their lifetime. Uh, Within about 40 years of this statement, uh, the Roman army basically attacked uh, Jerusalem, and they wiped out the temple, and it was prophesied by Christ that this would take place. And so it's possible that this sentence is referring to that coming judgment when uh, those who would Uh, basically that Jesus would come in judgment against uh, Israel who had rejected their king. And some commentators speculate that that's what he's talking about. This is going to happen in your lifetime. Uh, I don't take that position either. I think the best explanation is that what Jesus is prophesying here is the event that we know as the transfiguration. Jesus says that some of you standing here will get a glimpse of God's coming kingdom within your life. And then notice the very next verse. It says, It came to pass about eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistering. It seems to me most plausible that this is what Jesus is referring to. It takes place directly after this 
uh, statement in all three Gospels, in fact. Jesus says, uh, some of you are going to see the kingdom of God, and then immediately after is the transfiguration. And so some of his disciples, some of those who were standing there, Peter, James, and John, they got to see a glimpse of Jesus in his glory. Uh, We notice again that Jesus has separated these three apostles, Peter, James, and John, from the rest of the twelve. We talked about that uh, a couple of weeks ago when the raising of Jairus' daughter was the, the first time when Jesus separated those three from the rest. And uh, throughout his ministry, we will see that Jesus spends uh, extra time with these three apostles. He really mentors them in a special way. Uh, And so this would be another event of this, where we see that these three are uh, part of Jesus' inner circle, who he's, he's focused some special attention on. And so he brings them up into a mountain to pray. And as Jesus is praying, he begins to glow. And again, I would love to see this. It's it's just difficult for me to really picture. But Luke says that his countenance was altered. His appearance changed in some way. And his clothes became white. And they started uh, glistening and glowing. Mark describes the event this way. It says, After six days Jesus taketh with him Peter, James, and John, and leadeth them up into a a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured. Before them. That's where we get the term transfiguration. That's the way that Mark describes this uh, change in his appearance. And then verse 3, he says, His raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And, and uh, then um, Matthew's account of the same story, he uses the same word, this uh, transfiguration. Matthew 17, 2 says, He was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white. As a light, so Jesus began to glow. Uh, they saw a glimpse, perhaps, of what John saw in Revelation chapter one. He describes something similar, where he sees Jesus in this blazing glory. And if this sight of Jesus wasn't strange enough, uh, these three apostles also saw a couple of prophets who had been dead for centuries. Verse thirty says, "Behold, there talked with him two men." So Jesus is glowing, and he's talking to two men, which were Moses and Elias or Elijah who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Uh, What a strange sight this must have been. Jesus is glowing. His appearance is transformed into a bright, white, uh, glowing thing. And all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah show up. And the three of them are just talking. Uh, Now, we don't know how Peter and uh, James and John knew the identity of these prophets. That's a question that always comes up about this text. How did they know it was Moses and Elijah? Uh, they had died, you know, years before they were ever born. How did they recognize them? Uh, we don't really know that. Our, the text does not say, but in some way, uh, God revealed to them that this was who this was. I don't know, maybe they had name tags or something. But somehow, uh, it was obvious to them that this was Moses and Elijah. And another question that comes up is, why these two? Why, why these two particular uh, figures from the Old Testament? Some have suggested that Moses and Elijah are supposed to symbolize the law and the prophets, Uh, Moses being the one who wrote the law and Elijah being uh, really the most famous of the Old Testament prophets. And I think there's something to that inference. Uh, But surely these two two were were some of the most revered men in all of uh, Jewish history. Moses was considered to be one of the greatest of men to ever live. Uh, The Jews looked up to Moses uh, very highly. He was a hero to them. It was Moses, you remember, who led God's people out of slavery in Egypt. It was Moses who led them through the the Red Sea on dry ground. Uh, Moses was the one who smote the rock with his staff and water came out to quench the Israelites' thirst. Uh, Moses was the man. He was a great leader and somebody that they revered very highly. Moses also wrote the first five books of the Bible. 
uh, the Old Testament, which the Jews considered to be the most important of them all. They had this kind of hierarchy of which books were more important, and the Pentateuch was uh, the top for them. So Moses was a very important figure. Also, Moses had a very unique relationship with God. Uh, Moses experienced a closeness to God uh, that is really unrivaled in the Old Testament. We see in Exodus 33, 11, it says, The Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. Moses was a very special figure in Israel's history. It was Moses, you remember, who went up into the mountain and talked with God. Everybody else was scared to death. Uh, of, of being in the presence of God, but Moses went up there and he spent that time with God. And you remember he came back down and his face was glowing because of this close proximity that he had with God. It was also Moses who had the unique privilege of seeing a glimpse of God's glory uh, when God passed before him and allowed Moses to see the afterglow. So Moses was a hero to the Jews. His, his relationship with God was totally unique. Uh, he was a great leader. He was the one who led Israel out of bondage. He was also the one who wrote uh, the law of Moses. And so this was a very important figure. This is somebody they would have idolized in Jewish culture. Then there's Elijah. Elijah was uh, the prophet who called down fire from heaven. That's probably what he's best known for. He was the prophet who faced off against the evil King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. Uh, Moses was perhaps the greatest of the men from a Jewish perspective, but Elijah was certainly the greatest of the prophets. His ministry was filled with dramatic miracles and displays of God's power. And in fact, his, his, uh, the one who, who comes after him, his successor, uh, Elisha, uh, when God asked him, what would you like? He says, give me a double portion of his spirit. I want to be just like Elijah. And so Elijah was another revered man. And so the sight of these two Old Testament heroes would have been quite impressive to the disciples. Uh, Peter, James, and John, of course, were Jews, and they would have looked up to these men uh, with great reverence and respect. And here Luke uh, includes a note that apparently the three apostles fell asleep before this took place. Uh, You remember Jesus took them up into a mountain for the purpose of praying. And in verse 32 it says, But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. So as, as shocking as this sight would have been anyways, it's even more startling because it's what they woke up to. Uh, they fell asleep during this prayer meeting and they wake up and suddenly there's Jesus glowing before them and Moses and Elijah standing there talking with him. This would have been a, a shocking thing to, to see. And so startled and probably half asleep, Peter responds in verse 33, he says, it came to pass after, after, uh, as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. Peter didn't know what to say, but he felt such reverence for these three great men that he wanted to hang out for a while. He didn't want them to leave. Uh, he wanted to enjoy this moment, and he wanted to, to build tabernacles for each one of them. Uh, God the Father, of course, interrupts Peter in verse 34. While he, yet spake, uh, while he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them. And they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. This, this incredible experience turns into a very frightening one as God offers a rebuke to Peter. He engulfs them in a cloud and then God says to Peter, This is my son that I love, listen to him. And as the cloud dissipates, verse 36 says, when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone. Peter was impressed with Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. These were three of his heroes. But God the Father wanted to show Peter and the other two apostles that Jesus wasn't just another great man like Moses. 
And he wasn't just a mighty prophet like Elijah. No, Jesus is different. Jesus is the beloved Son of God. He is to be reverenced above any other man, however great you may esteem these giants of the faith like Moses and Elijah. Uh, Jesus is on a higher plane. And so the, the rebuke to Peter is that he was putting them on the same level. He had respect for all three of them, and he should have had respect for them. But he didn't recognize that Jesus was of a higher essence than the others. And so really the point of the transfiguration is to show in a dramatic way what these three men would never forget, the superiority of Christ above all humanity. And so we ask our two Christmas questions, these things that we focused on the last couple of weeks. First of all, who was Jesus? The transfiguration makes this clear. God the Father himself says that this is his son. And it's a mistake to place Jesus on the same level as a great man like Moses or a great prophet like Elijah. It's falling short of the truth to simply say, as, as many people do today, uh, that Jesus was a great teacher or that Jesus was a prophet. Many other false religions say things like that. Uh, but that is falling short of the truth. Jesus is God in flesh. And this glimpse of his glory as the Son of God made this fact very clear to Peter, James, and John. Listen to what John wrote uh, years later at the beginning of his gospel. He says, The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. There was no doubt in John's mind that when he looked at Jesus, he was seeing the glory of the only begotten Son of God. Peter wrote in one of his letters of the impact that it made on him uh, to see the transfiguration. He writes specifically of this event in 2 Peter 1. It says, We have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. And so uh, Peter is saying, what we're telling you about Christ, we didn't make, up, make this up. This isn't a, uh, some sort of a fable, a cunningly devised fable is the, the language that he used. This isn't some story we came up with. We were eyewitnesses. We saw it. We were on the mountain. We heard the voice of the Father declaring the identity of Christ as his son. And so this event left an impression on the three apostles who saw it. There could be no doubt in their mind uh, that Jesus was God the Son. And so to answer that first question, who is Jesus? Uh, who was that baby born in a manger on, on Christmas that we celebrate this time of year? He was God become a human. What about that second question? Why did Jesus come to earth? You might be wondering, how does the transfiguration answer that question about his mission and why he came? I think the reason Jesus came to earth and was born as a human is given to us actually by Moses and Elijah. It's what they were talking to Jesus about. If you look at verse 30 of our text, it says, Behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Luke is the only gospel writer who notes uh, what they were talking about, that they were discussing how Jesus was going to go to Jerusalem and die. Now, why would they be talking about that? Because the death and resurrection of Christ is the most important event in history. That's what the law and the prophets point towards. That's what we as Christians look back on. The death and resurrection of Christ is why Jesus came to earth. He came to die on a cross. This is also why the disciples were not permitted to talk about the transfiguration. Notice the, the last verse of our text, verse 36, says, When the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone, and they kept it close, and told no man in those days any of those things which they had seen. 
And they told nobody about this event. Uh, They just saw Moses and Elijah and Jesus glowing in, in his glory. And they heard the voice of God the Father, and yet they told no one about it. And I'm sure they wanted to. I don't think that they just wanted to keep this to themselves. I'm sure they wanted to tell everybody about this event. But Jesus told them not to. Listen to Mark's account of this same story. Mark 9, verse 9 says, As they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man was risen from the dead. Don't tell anyone about what you've seen here today until I've done what I came to do. Jesus came to die and to rise again. This was his mission. And he would not let anything get in the way of accomplishing that task. Uh, This is really the heart of Christianity, that Jesus Christ died on the cross, he rose again, and he did so for us. He died uh, taking the penalty of our sin on himself so that we could be forgiven and reconciled to God. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. I I hope you understand after these couple of weeks uh, better what what it is that makes the birth of this baby so important. As I mentioned last week, it's kind of strange to think that we celebrate the birth of somebody from 2,000 years ago. Uh, there's really nobody like that. Uh, nobody celebrates Julius Caesar's birth. Right? We don't go that far back in history. Uh, but Jesus stands totally apart. Uh, Jesus is the reason we call this year 2020. It's based upon the birth of Christ. He changed our calendar. He changed everything. Why is this so important? Why is this uh, birth of a baby in, in, in the Middle East such a big deal? We aren't celebrating a day when a prophet was born or when a great teacher was born. We are celebrating the birth of God. The eternal God who created the world became one of us in order to die and rise again for our redemption. I'm going to close this morning by reading the lyrics to that song that we played during the offering. It's called Arrival. I don't know if you've heard it before, but I think it really captures uh, better than any Christmas song that I know of what was happening when Jesus was born. It says, Who is God? that he would take our frame, the artisan inside the paint, or breathe the very breath, uh, the very air his breath sustains, the architect inside the plan. O come now, hail his arrival, the God of creation, royalty robed in the flesh he created. Jesus the maker has made himself known. All hail the infinite, infant God. Uh, The one who has no start and knows no end became confined in time and tense. The everlasting God, the great I am, in the mercy of a mother's hands. The one who holds the stars in the creases of his hand is the one who holds my heart like a mother once held him. The one who knows what lies where space has run its course embraced a baby's mind, and now I can know my God. The monarch of the stars, the king of, above all kings, the ruler of my heart, and the savior for my sins. The one who sees what lies in each and every soul embraced our finite eyes so we can see our God. O come now, hail his arrival, the God of creation. Royalty robed in the flesh he created. Jesus the maker has made himself known. All hail the infinite, infant God. The holy word of God defined by name, the author climbed inside the page. God embraced our frame when he graced the world he made. All hail the divine in a manger. Love embraced our fate when the playwright took the stage. All hail the arrival of our maker. O come now, hail his arrival, the God of creation. Royalty robed in the flesh he created. Jesus the maker has made himself known. All hail the infinite, infant God. May we always remember as we celebrate the birth of Christ, that we are celebrating the arrival of our God. 
Father, I do pray that you would keep this uh, before us as Christians, that, that Christmas would not be for us what it is in the world, uh, just a time to give presents or a time to uh, just to ha- have a day off of work, but may it be something more meaningful. We do thank you, God, for sending your son to us to die on a cross. We thank you for the fact that Jesus came to die in our place and to pay the penalty for our sins. As we celebrate Christmas this year, we're really celebrating our salvation because that's why you came to us. That's why you took on a human body to save us. Thank you, Father, for the love that you've shown to us. May we never get over the wonder of this mystery that God became one of us to save us from our sins. And this Christmas, I ask that you would give each one of us a greater love for you and a greater appreciation for all that you've done for us. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.